1: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
0: What the pell is up? Pelicans fans, my name is Elliot Clef, otherwise known as edog on Twitter. Thank you, EZP. Cheers to you as well. And this is Believe In, the New Orleans Pelicans podcast via the Believe Podcast Network. Very excited for today's podcast. Following yesterday's awesome podcast, if you missed it, we broke down five moments in Pelicans slash Hornets history that could be used as a documentary, some really fun stuff, some really engaging stuff with you, Pelicans Twitter, and just you, the listener in general, from the Pelicans fanhood. So if you missed it, you can go check it out. Once this one is over, some excellent, excellent stuff, and we talk about it a little bit today. And who's the other part of the we? You might ask Chris Connor of the Bird Rights SB Nation. That guy joins us today. Super, super involved with the Pelicans. Uh, As a writer, he's been with SB Nation for three years now, used to write for Pelican Debrief, my employer, uh, Hoops Habit, fan-sided, I should say, but uh, Chris has been covering the Pelicans for a long time, he's a NOLA native, excellent, excellent, excellent stuff today, we make reference to those those five options that I mentioned in terms of uh, Pelican's In terms of documentaries that could be shown about the Pelicans slash Hornets, we talk about the future of what what coaching will look like, whether it's Alvin Gentry or somebody else in the future of the Pelicans when this team, this core, really makes the ascension to to NBA championship level, whether it should be Gentry or not. And then we talk about biggest areas that need to be addressed for the offseason for the Pelicans. So ton of, ton of awesome, really in-depth stuff between myself and Chris today. So stick around, stick through the whole thing. Awesome, awesome stuff. Do not miss today's episode. Do not miss a second of it, Pelicans fans. Otherwise, you're going to be missing out on some incredible, incredible content. So here it is, my conversation with Chris Conner of the Bird Rights and SB Nation. So we're joined today by Chris Connor. Very excited t- for today's podcast with Chris. How you doing today, man?
1: Elliot, I am. I am just fine. Uh, I got my mask. Well, my mask is next to me. My gloves are around me. I'm social distancing. I'm doing my best to follow all the rules and procedures, man.
0: Yeah, uh, we've talked about that a lot, especially with our guests on the podcast. Uh, Glad to hear that you're doing well. Glad to hear that you're staying safe and, and social distancing as much as you can. Um, hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully all these protests and such don't, don't get us back into, to craziness of, of being social, even though we shouldn't. Uh, I don't know if you've been paying attention to that at all, Chris, but, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, we, I, I just had a podcast, a, a couple guys that have interacted with the podcast a couple times threw a political question at me. Uh, <laughs> on on one of the last uh, on one of the last polls and I was like you know what I'm going to respond but I'm going to try to get as little political as possible and right now it's so difficult
1: to not do that uh, I got you man I, I, I definitely <laughs> understand you got to you know you got to kind of kind of be careful you, yeah. know what I mean? you don't want <laughs> you, you to piss off any of your listeners man <laughs> I would find it by not responding I would up either way you know
0: Exactly, exactly. So this is not a political podcast. It's a Pelicans podcast. So therefore, Chris, if you listen, and and those of you who have been listening, if you listen to this last podcast, which was one of my favorite podcasts that we've done so far on Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans, I outlined top five moments. Three were mine originally, and then you, the listener, added some. Uh, that that we discussed on this last podcast, but five moments in Pelicans slash Hornets history that would be best for a documentary, and I shared those moments with you, the listener, and then with you, Chris, as well. well. We'll we'll talk about those a little bit in a second. But Chris, did you have any that I did not list out that you thought of in terms of uh, what would be best for a documentary, either through ESPN or or Fox Sports New Orleans or, or just the Pelicans? Oh no, I
1: mean I. I think that um I think some future some future possibility in regards to what could make a Pelicans document well a Pelicans documentary probably be the way to go. Um, uh, I think, you know, you covered you covered pretty much pretty much everything. And I think that there's there's just one bullet point that's there that is I mean in my opinion, you know, it's uh you know it's arms and legs ahead of every every other of, of the other one. So um, I think there's enough there's enough there, there's enough to make a good debate of. But of course, you know, you have future possibilities that could happen, whether it's from Zion to uh you know, whether it be just the the team in total and what they turn into, uh how basketball is quote unquote save and warm turned into a powerhouse. I mean it's there's a bunch of different avenues you can go, but I think of
0: what we have what we know right now, and you got to tell me, For sure, for sure. You know, I, I, what I tweeted out was um, those first three options, the 07-08 Hornets that went 56-26, and 26, the 17-18 team that did make it to the second round of the playoffs, and then the departures of Chris Paul and Anthony Davis, two clear best players in the Pelicans and Hornets history. My... Option, honestly, would probably be my my first pick, I should say, in terms of a documentary would be probably a combination of when the Pelicans or, or the Hornets at the time moved to Oklahoma City for a year because of Hurricane Katrina, and then came back to New Orleans and had the second best record in the West with that 56 and 26. Uh, and, and, you know, it's easy to say uh, options like the 2019 offseason, if we're looking forward, like you had mentioned, but... To me, in terms of Pelican's history where we're at right now, I think a combination of those two would probably be the one that I would want to watch.
1: Uh, I'm with you. I mean, I you know, I think if you're trying to if you're trying to get like a national a national audience, I think the two that jump off the page to me are the C P three and day Mr. culture, mainly because of the the superstar power that exists there and the ways that they that they ended up leaving. Uh, both are I think are totally are totally different but I think that if you really want to nail that one maybe have to tie that into uh, a success story like Zion State which is, which is down the line and you know something that would have to take a life of its own but I think something quick something that people could really attached to whether they're basketball fans or not uh, is the you know playing in Oklahoma City instead of New Orleans I mean you have so many different areas that are be in touch with that story, from Chris Paul of Port to the city of Oklahoma the City, how they how they feel the and they wrap their arms around the team, to how it in how it's, it helped them bring them into welcoming a whole new franchise in the Seattle Supersonics. You got the Hurricane Katrina influence. I mean, you got a bunch of different things to build off of. I don't know how long the documentary will be. But you could sure have enough there to make it really compelling and watch worthy.
0: I completely agree. And, I mean, a lot of people, the generic NBA fan that would probably be my age. You know, I was I was around 12 at the time. That would be the, the time that I was really, really investing myself into sports for the first time. People around my age and, and younger NBA fans might not even know that the Pelicans are – I keep saying <laughs> the Pelicans, but it was the Hornets at the time – that the Hornets – Moved to Oklahoma City for a year, so that that's that's got to be an opportunity to to bring some people in, and that was clearly uh, building the foundation for the Thunder to become an NBA franchise.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there's a there's a strong argument that if, if Oklahoma City doesn't doesn't support uh the Pelicans or the Hornets at the time as they as they did and. You know, even now, you know you can even you know you see how Chris Paul coming back to coming back to that city uh, this season, and you know, kind of uh, you know surprising surprising the NBA world with how the Thunder has been performing. Um, you know, he's talked about how welcoming they were, how much it mattered to him, and it was something that he's never forgot. Um, you know, there's an argument that if that doesn't happen, I don't think it did, that there's a way that'll gets the Thunder or get a team. It has so much history, and it eventually became so so powerful in the Western Conference, like the Thunder.
0: and so quickly too. With with Kevin drafting three MVPs in the matter of a couple of years, and you know ultimately losing them, which will definite that you know that's definitely going to be a documentary uh, at some point in time. Uh, but uh, you know, you had mentioned the. CP3 and and Anthony Davis' departures, those will probably be more of a a nationwide uh, thing that people know. They know what happened, and and, you know AD is obviously more of a recent thing, but CP3 really was that New Orleans Hornets team. You you think about that era, and you think about him, Peja Stojakovic, David West, and and Tyson Chandler, and, and CP3 was so foundational to who the Hornets were at that point in time. Personally, I'd probably, you know, there's a little bit of animosity still among New Orleans between between the fans and Anthony Davis, but I'd be extremely interested on on what the franchise, what what ESPN, what Fox Sports, uh, whoever could do with in, in reference to the the departure of of Chris Paul. Uh, yeah, because uh,
1: you know I don't think people people talk about it. Uh in the same manner. uh I, I don't think people remember how big it was at the time you know, Um you know, when Chris called the departure from New Orleans, I think it kind of got it, it was it was overwhelmed by a trade that wasn't Paul going to the Lakers, you know, for quote unquote basketball reasons that things that were going on with with New Orleans in regards to ownership at the time. Uh but yeah, man, I mean that that period going from where it seemed as if New Orleans I mean, not only were they gonna be uh a you know, they were gonna be consistently a top team in the Western Conference, uh, they had a superstar in their hands. I mean it looked like they had a chance to be uh you know in NBA Finals contention. But to go from that to losing uh Chris so so quickly I mean in a matter of two or three years, you know, it, it just Looking back at it now, you know I don't want to say it's unbelievable, but you forget you forget number one how big it was but how quickly it all transpired. And I mean it's it's a it's a message that especially you know whether you're a small market team or you're a big market team, it's a, uh, and and you can make an argument that that time period those periods are only going to shrink with the with how fast things move. You know years later in our world. Uh, but it's definitely a message that means to teams, uh, you know. I mean, you only have a certain amount of time to uh, to keep guys that become superstars happy and keep them wanting to be a part of your franchise moving forward. And you know that documentary has to again has so many layers from the time Chris Paul was drafted to some of the some of his counterparts, teammates and the LeBron angle, and you know you know it's, the draft he was a part of Mark Williams being drafted ahead of them to uh how things around him broke down from ownership to the front the front office to the players around them that there's so many different layers, and it would be again, it would be an awesome an awesome doc. Uh and like you said, whether it's ESPN or, you know, uh Fox Fox Sports, whoever would put it together, you know, you have so much to choose from.
0: And I was just going to hit on that too. And it's so unfortunate in situations like that with, with the turbulence that he ran into the, the not necessarily, I mean, you could, you could categorize it as, as uh, the animosity that was between him and the front office and ownership and, and and such, but uh, unfortunate because new Orleans absolutely was in love with Chris Paul and Chris Paul in love with, with new Orleans. So it, 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 it An unfortunate situation and um and a sad ending to what was an incredible incredible few years that that cp3 was in new orleans leading that team from being (laughs) quite mediocre to the second seed in the nba in the the western conference behind kobe's lakers in, in that uh Year that Kobe and, and Paul Gasol really resurrected the Lakers franchise. So, um, like you said, so many layers, so many different ways you can go about a documentary that that would be about Chris Paul leaving New Orleans. So to transition here, Chris, uh, Chris writes for SB Nation. We'll talk. We talked about that a little bit about about that in the intro. Uh, the the website's called The Bird Writes. It's the section of SB Nation that covers. The Pelicans, they do a lot of really, really good work there, a lot of really good work on Twitter for SB Nation. But in one of Chris's articles, and, and this will go back a few months uh, into December, I'm not sure uh, in terms of maybe other articles that you've written, if you'd want to talk about anything like that today, Chris. But um, th- this this is the one that caught my eye, and I was was 100% uh, in on talking about this article. This article, you can check it out for yourself uh, on the bird writes the the title is called "Writing on the Wall." New Orleans Pelicans have reached point of no return and should part ways with Alvin Gentry. Need need I mind you? This was written December twenty first of this last year. So, Chris, have you changed your tune at all on Alvin Gentry, or do do you feel the same as you did December twenty
1: first? Well, so you know, I'll say this: I, I, I uh, that article. Got me. I so you know, I expected a lot more criticism than I actually received. I got a lot of people that actually got to reach out to me and said, "Man, no, I like what you did." Um, I begrudgingly wrote that article. So like, you know, Alvin from from the times I seen him in the media day to watching him after practice to knowing you know his history and the tough type of situations that he had to deal with in New Orleans last year, the you know, the complete circus that was the old Anthony Davis stuff, yeah Fiasco. Um Alvin Alvin's a guy that you want you want in your in your corner. You want one you of your possibles. But does that guy make the best head coach number one for uh, for this this type of team? This type of roster, future rosters that are that are created, or um, does that does that make the best head coach when you consider the aspirations of this team uh, going forward? And I mean, listen, gold, make no mistake about it, championship contention. When you have a guy like Zion Williamson, some of the you know the other pieces that have emerged around him, some that you knew beforehand, and some that took a little bit of time to be introduced to. Um, and then, and then that's that's without definitely without even mentioning you know the future that they have about the cap flexibility and you know the veterans that they'll be able to entice and the the you know the of draft picks. So you know, they're gonna have an opportunity to really do some big things going forward. And the head coach that you choose needs to be the guy. You don't want a situation where you're switching things all over the place consistently, bringing in new coaches, new systems. You don't want to puts your superstar and your high-quality players through that process, especially those guys that came from the Lakers that had to deal with uh, changes by the minute it so felt like uh, towards their, yeah. their Um But, I mean, to, you know, but to answer your question, I mean, I don't, you know, I think that it's hard to say I can't stand on that, on that horse and say he needs to go. They need to move right now. When I wrote that article then, and what they need to do it right now. Like this is it. It, can, it, it, it can't. Like it can't get any worse. And I, and I think to understand that, you know, you got to go back to that time to kind of look at exactly, you know, um, what the Pelicans were looking at. I mean, they were they were seven and twenty. They were seven and twenty three after that ball. Uh, they were one game behind. Oh, or, or, I'm sorry, one game ahead of the Golden State Warriors for the worst record in the Western Conference. Now, I understand it was banged up, I understand that, you know, that Zion wasn't at Chelsea yet. They had battled some injuries, Lonzo had missed some time here or there, England had missed a little bit of time, Drew had missed time, Derrick Favors um, you know, had had his share of injuries, you know, um or, I mean, and outside of injuries had a, you know, had a you know a brutal um you know, a terrible loss of his mother. So it just it it, it was a lot to deal with at at once. But when it's all said and done, the team had enough talent to be winning more games than they had. They should not have been on the losing streak that they had been on at, at the time, losing, you know, if I if I remember correctly. Uh, I don't remember exactly how many they had. They had lost 13. Row, but yeah 13, 13 games in a row. Game. There we go. 13 games in a row. They were not that bad of a team. And you know, when you looked at their problems, you knew what it was. you know, the issues that they had defensively. But, you know, there were so many things that popped up. In in that game in that game, Lonzo Ball um was and this 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 was this was before we you know we got the full confident Lonzo that has emerged again, again that finally hadn't been interrupted due to due to injury or distraction. Um Lonzo was still finding himself and he was having to find himself coming, coming off the bench, working himself back from an injury because you know, the you know, the offense, you I know, mean, they were they were going through issues starting with Lonzo. He wasn't shooting the ball all that well. He wasn't decisive, he wasn't being quick with his you know with his moves offensively, he wasn't getting to the free throw line. Um you know, but that game he played really well. And Alvin Gentry has always stood by if no matter what your quote unquote role is on on the, on the team, you're playing well and you're helping us win a basketball game. You're gonna have an opportunity to close that game. He's done it countless number of times. And one reason Ian Clark was so important on that uh on that 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 playoff team from uh, um, from a, a few years ago. Um, you know, because Ian Clark was a guy who was who was signed on a minimum a minimum contract, but he had games in which he played well, in which Ray Rondo, who people know would people would know more more about that has had a a better career, and he times in the fourth quarter, Ray Al Rondo wouldn't play. Ian but Ian Clark was better serving the team. Um, and in that particular game, Lazo Ball played played really well and nobody felt like he thought he was gonna win. And the fourth quarter comes, Lazar plays a few minutes, and he doesn't close. Uh Alvin instead went for Kerris Williams. And Kerris was, was in the middle of a of a shooting slump that was the worst of his career for a month. He just didn't make sense. They ended up losing the game. And at that point, it's like, man, you're not playing better defensively. Uh, you're, you're turning the ball over a lot. Elvin is saying and preaching the same things every day about what they need to do. Take care of the basketball. They need to, they need to be more aware of things that's happening defensively. You know, they need to they, they need to move the basketball. All these things that are being said, it's not, it's not happening. It's just three on the floor. Uh, at that time, you know, I felt as if it was a, it, it, it needed to happen then. and we're talking overall, we're talking a long stretch. No, I don't believe Alvin Gentry is the coach for the you know, the future of New Orleans. I think that he lacks certain characteristics and things that um a championship caliber coach is going to provide you and these group of guys are going to need uh kudos to them for responding to him in the which, in, in the manner in which they have, they fought for him. Alvin says all the right things, he does all the right things, he's a player's coach. 100%, and he deserves a lot of credit for the turnaround that they've had as well. You can't take that away from, from him. You know, he's been as much of, uh, involved in the improvement as the players have been and the, you know, the injury luck. But, if you're asking me long-term, do I think Alvin is the guy to get you where you want to go? I don't think they should. is. I think he's better served as more of a coordinator, more of a consultant. I think you need another guy um, you know, with, with a certain level of experience and a certain type of system scheme uh, method that's going to help this team. Because we know they can score the basketball. They're going to need to descend. And they're going to need, I think, more structure to get where they want to go. To
0: to throw in another point at, at which the, the series, or excuse me, the season, the point where the Pelicans were not playing well at all Um, You you mentioned in your article that they, I believe they were 21st in offense and probably lower in defense, uh, given the way that uh, the season has gone. Uh, They're currently, I believe, eight. Yes. Okay. Dead last. There it is. And they're currently 18th in defense. Um, So, so that doesn't surprise me. Uh, It's, it's like in a completely different team. Um, And to, to throw another point in there as to why the team was not playing so well is that 90% of the roster hadn't really played together prior to this season. I mean, you got Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, and Lonzo, and then you got Etuan and, and guys like Kenrich, and, and I mean, Zylan Cheatham, who's been around a little while, but it's just a big conglomeration of a bunch of guys who were not on the same team the year prior. So, I mean, this even happened with the 2011 Miami Heat when they had LeBron, Chris Bosh, D. Wade, um, who they started the season 9-8, and 8, which is very different than 7-23, and 23, but it does take a little while to get used to everybody's game. Um, and, and you had mentioned they didn't have Zion. Um, and, and I honestly thought throwing Zion in the, the mix of it all, when the team had turned around would, would throw things off. And all I did was make the team better, um, which uh, I was, I was not necessarily extremely wrong, but I was, I was pretty wrong <laughs> in that situation. And, you know, given the, the, the way Zion plays, I think it was fair to make an assumption that it would affect the team in a, in a negative way, at least initially. But uh, I was very wrong and I'm very happy to have been wrong, but I had said on, on one of our more recent podcasts uh, with, with Jordan Moore of uh, Fox Sports Boston, we we were talking about Alvin Gentry and, and he had asked me what, what my thoughts were about uh, the future of Gentry in new Orleans and, given the way the team played the last 2 3 months of the season at least in the immediate future i don't i don't see any reason to move off gentry lonzo is absolutely perfect for for uh, a gentry system I, he coached he was an assist excuse me associate head coach with the golden state warriors in 2014 2015 um, he was uh head coach with um the the uh the Phoenix Suns, for a little while, they had some success. Uh, he hasn't had a ton of success as a head coach. That's that's very clearly established. Like you said, he doesn't necessarily have that championship pedigree like uh, you would want for a team that has the bright future like the Pelicans do. Um, but personally, I'd, I'd like to hear what you think on this. I don't think the Pelicans should move on from, from Gentry Unless he gives them a reason to what are you what are your thoughts on that
1: uh, I mean so listen, right like and I, I i even put it in the article and i and I got some black about it but i wouldn't, i mean i don't I don't give a damn when it comes to this when it comes to this subject like i the last thing I want to do being an african American is fire an african american coach in the city in which i love um Playing, you know, one of the one of the best sports that you know the world has has known to man. Uh, so, you know, that's I, I don't I don't want to. I'm not an album hater. You know, I'm not I'm not someone that you know they just want to be inspired by, by any means, right? I think now to answer your question, you absolutely have to. You can't let him go unless he gives you a reason. So yeah, I mean that's, that's you know that that's correct. So, but I guess my question is, you know, what exact, what type of reason, what type of reason are you going to look at? What reason is it going to present itself? Because it can go, it can go, it can go too late, right? You can wait too long where players start to mature and they start to get frustrated with the lapses and the inconsistencies that, you know, they come with an offense. Um, like out in it's free land, that is freelance. It doesn't have a bunch of. It doesn't have a whole bunch of structure. That is that is up and down. It's all about pace. No matter what, that's going to give you defensive lapses Just I mean hell. I mean everybody's possessing the possession You're just tired. You don't feel like playing defense because the goal is regardless of shot whether you make a shot or miss a shot, the shot. Goal is to get that ball inbound and get it back up court. Right. Um. You know things things can hit can you know can hit a wall in which uh ultimatums are made. And that's the last thing that you want from your players in a small market in a situation where you're trying to uh completely change uh you know this narrative about superstars not wanting to play in New Orleans because of what happened with Chris Paul Anthony Davis. Even anyway, if you go back to Baron Davis, Um you know that's that's one aspect. The other side is look at Monty Williams. Monty Williams ended up uh, in Anthony Davis's first first playoff appearance with New Orleans. Patty Williams went forty five and thirty seven. Uh, no one no one predicted that team to make the playoffs that year. They ended up now they they needed help and they needed you know uh, Kevin Durant injury um, and a hell of a shot by by Anthony Davis in regards to uh, to uh, a tiebreaker. Uh, so if I'm correct, I think they needed, they ended up sweeping Oklahoma City that year. But they but they needed some help from from that perspective to get in, but Monty did every, he overachieved that. And it, it, it wasn't like we're talking about a roster that was, uh, while it was talented, you know, it, 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 it wasn't a whole bunch of chemistry. Similar to, to teams we see now with New Orleans in which guys have been hurt and you haven't had an opportunity to be the full conglomerate of players together night in and night out. And Monty was fired because New Orleans and Dell Demps, I'm betting one of a winner and that team has to find a way to 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 upgrade, if you will. And Alvin Gentry was we're supposed to be that that upgrade over Montfe. Um you know, if it works, it you know, great. If it doesn't work, you got a chance to piss people off. I mean, I guess it's which it's which route it is and at what point do you identify exactly when it's time to make a move and make a decision for another head coach.
0: That That is an absolutely fair question. You know, I think you know, my first thought in, in a situation like this is to reference David Blatt versus Tyron Lue. David Blatt was clearly not the man for that job in Cleveland. Sure, he has had success in uh, overseas leagues, but he was not the man to coach LeBron James. And where we could get with this evolution this this ascension of the pelicans to back to relevancy which is i mean they're they're basically there but um more towards championship relevancy i should say is a point where you know this roster's probably not going to stick together for another however many years things are going to change so guys are going to want to get paid stuff like that that's just typical nba whether it's in new orleans or los angeles or boston or where what have you but there's gonna come a situation where things are gonna change, and Alvin w- may, he could refuse to change the way he coaches, change the system to fit the players, and that would be a situation where probably he and guys like Zion, and, you know, Zion's a great kid, c- incredibly humble, and uh, but but he's not seasoned, and he's gonna get to a point where he will be so far ahead in terms of basketball intelligence that if a situation like that were to come to fruition, he and Alvin are probably going to butt heads. In a situation like that, 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 that's what I'm leaning towards when I say Alvin has to give you a reason to fire him, for, for the Pelicans to move on. Um, does, does that make sense? Well, well, well no, it does. it does. It does.
1: I mean, my thing with timing Regardless, and 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 that's why that article was written at that time. It was like the writing the writing's on the wall because if you're going to do it, this is the perfect time to do it, right? Um, you kind of know you know what Alvin is. This may be the feeling, or you you have an idea of what he's doing is and what his strengths and weaknesses are. And so when you look at championship coaches, and you break down Elvin Gentry characteristic by characteristic, you don't I don't think he has. Some of those strengths that you are going to need to outmatch and outwit some of the better coaches that are that are going to help uh, lead and motivate teams into the playoff runs. But now I see you, David Black and Teron Liu, and I'll raise you. Uh, I don't know if I'll you go back, but Dale Harris and Joe Jackson. That's what I see more, because when you look at when you look at David Black and Teron Liu. Like you know, so Lou like that was LeBron's guy, right? And that team wasn't necessarily a young team either. They you know they weren't and they weren't in that Oklahoma City where where Oklahoma City was right around the time. Because I think you know when you when you look at New Orleans, I think from a team perspective, it it's easy to look at Oklahoma City and say, all right, well you may have a bunch of young stars that all grow together that could explode one year. And hopefully beyond into a championship won. Um but they're not even at that stage as to where they're young. They're they're young veterans, right? You know, I mean, you you, know, you have a bunch of, uh, you know, you have a team. I think that if you take out, um, I'm trying to say, I, I think they're like they're like eighth or or ninth in the NBA in regards to youth. Um, and that's and, and that's not including you know, some injured players, Darius Miller, you know, so on and so forth. And I think I think with that team, with that Cleveland team, like that team was built to win right away. But this team in the world, and everyone knows it's going to take some time. So the reason I bring up Dell, Del, I might say Dell, Del, no. uh, <laughs> Del Harris, Dell Harris, and uh, and Jackson is because that that Lakers team with Kobe and Shaq, so on and so forth. Dale had a few times to fail in the playoffs repeatedly, but they kept running into a wall before before the organization said, Okay, we have to bring somebody with a championship pedigree. Dale's a good coach, but he's not great enough to lift us over the hump where we know we should be able where we know our talents is us to be able to represent. Right? And that's where Phil comes in and he takes that talent, like he takes what's left but his team failed, and he molds it into, you know, a three-peat and one of the best runs and most fun dominant runs that we've seen in recent memory. So, you know, I would look at it from that perspective, watching a young team with maybe a veteran or two kind of, you know, kind of grow, a young superstar in general, uh, and Kobe Bryant kind of grow and then watching the next coach and after a few playoff exits were bouncing. Now, I guess the, the times are different now than they were then. We weren't as worried at that time of, uh, you know, a star, you know, leaving by year six or year seven or, you know, planning his way out. And, I mean, there's also a, a market difference as well. But regardless, I mean, I would see it happening more so that way maybe two years, you know, or, you know a, I, I would say around two or three years of, playoff failures. Now, they, now they, I mean of course they have to make the playoffs. If they don't make the playoffs, then you have to five. I would say you know, because going into next season, no matter what happens with the rest of this one, once next next season, people are going to be the world in into a playoff season. No matter yeah. how golden no matter how well Golden State comes back, no matter what they add to their team, people are going to be expecting the Warners to at least secure one playoff spot you know what you know whether eight seven big whatever you know whatever it is people are going to be expecting to at least
0: make it. and in reference to next year should should the should the Pels start off slow again that's not going to cut it this year patience was a virtue because you had such a young squad you had such a uh, team not not of misfits but of of guys that uh had not played together you didn't have zion so patience was key and and patience has been key in zion's return to in terms of uh minutes restriction so he stays healthy and a slow start like that will not cut it that'd be a huge reason to move on from from gentry and if the team moves on next year uh and you know uh doesn't make the playoffs. Then it's time to fire Gentry. And I'll, I'll throw this situation at you as well. As, as the Warriors started to really become... And uh, start to ascend to championship relevancy. They lost in that first round matchup with the Clippers in 2014, I want to say. It was the year before they won their first championship. Um, Mark Jackson was fired. And, yep. And Steph... Steph was upset about it, and rightfully so. The team was playing well. They just happened to lose to a team that had more veterans and and was a good basketball team by all accounts uh, that year. Chris Paul, Lob City, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, etc. And the Warriors made the decision to hire Steve Kerr. And if the Pels run into a situation next year where, let's say, they get the 4th, 5th, 6th seed, don't move past the first round... Yeah, in 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 the scheme of things, that's that's success, I guess, in terms of the Pelicans' history, just because it's been pretty mediocre. But with the roster that has been assembled, you're expecting more. So therefore, a situation like that would be it would be comparable to what could happen for the Pelicans' future.
1: Correct. Correct hundred percent, that that is another that is another parallel that that comes to mind when you think of this coaching situation. Um, but again, I mean, it, it's it's gonna fall it's gonna fall on. Golden State made the right they they put all the right buttons. So many things fell in their lap, right? You know, due to the dysfunction of other franchises and them doing their work and doing this and putting in just overall roster construction. You know, but um, you know, I mean, it takes you know if you go from Mark Jackson to Ed curve, Number one, I mean, they're both quote unquote player player coaches, and I think some people are kind of kind of confuse with player with player coaches. But uh, what a player's coach means doesn't always mean that they you know that a player's coach is a is the nicest guy in the world. But a lot of times it has to do with the fact that you know that coach gets the players respect off of the, the minute that they're brought in. Just based off the fact that, you know, they've played in the league, they've done something worth of worth noting, and those those players feel like they can relate to that coach. It's hard to do what Golden State did. They want from one from one player that had a hell of a career to another player that when it's all said and done, you're talking about championships and, you know, from a shooting perspective had a hell of a career. Steve Kerr. Um, you know, it wasn't like Steve I you know, Steve hadn't hadn't had a coaching background of you know of much. I mean outside of some time that he's been under under uh you know under Popovich as a player and some of the things he went to do. He was a general manager before that, but uh, I mean didn't it didn't keep him there long enough in NC mix. Um but yeah I mean when it's all when it's all said I mean, that was a hell of a a hell of a jump, a hell of a leap, you know, to make. And uh I mean it's a risk a gamble of sorts. You know, to go with someone who's Constantly, it was more militant, like marking Someone who's totally laid back. To pay it paid off for the Pelicans and David Griffin and company. Have to make a similar decision, um, you know. And you know, you just, you just gotta hope that they make the right one. Yeah. First of all,
0: if there's anybody that I trust in the NBA as far as a front office member to make a decision like that, it is David Griffin. Uh I'm a huge, huge David Griffin guy, obviously as a as a Pelicans fan, as a Pelicans uh uh member of the media, but uh now here here's the question is who would be that coach that the Pels could and should move on to, at le- at least in your mind's eye, Chris. Man, uh you know, and
1: listen because I 'cause I don't wanna I don't even if if it works, if it can work without the industry, I hope they can. I don't want it to make it seem like we're already writing history and getting them out. So I don't. I don't want to do that. But I, you know, I have an opinion on what personally I think would what, what the best team, and that's just you know, I think that's that's okay, right? Um, so I look at a guy. I look at a guy like Jerry Stackhouse. I look at a guy like that. Um But Jerry Stackhouse is my personal favorite. fact, he was one of the people that I was very high on but they were when New Orleans were looking for, uh was to figure out what what they were gonna do with the and whether it was gonna be Danny Ferry before we knew the Pelicans even had a chance with David Griffin. Uh because it was assumed by most that Danny Ferry was gonna be the one to return and take over that um that majority general manager role. But um Jerry Stackhouse is, is a guy I look at, and you know, uh, I think when you are when you are a small market team, you gotta be really captivated with the moves that you make. You gotta pick the right sports, and these things will fall your way. But you gotta get through those first six or seven years, and you gotta make sure that you're making decisions that are valid. Guys that know basketball, guys if they play the game perfectly, but guys you know guys that know the game, player you know someone that has some some level of, of success. Somebody that your players aren't gonna aren't gonna turn their nose up to when he walks in, and I think Jerry Stackhouse is one of those guys uh you know you're talking about a dude that you know take you know take it for what you will, but you know won a won a uh you know a g league championship a couple of years ago which had a on a roster that had van Lee on it uh by the way over there uh for Toronto's g league affiliate, which i think is in isn't talked about enough, and for a guy that hadn't had much head coach experience, so I don't think he had any, any head coach experience at any, at any level at that time. Uh, Jerry Stackhouse is is an All Star NBA or football All Star NBA player. He played on a bunch of a bunch of different teams in a bunch of different situations. Um, he he has a parallel with Brandon Ingram because they're from the same city, and that's somebody that Di will look at immediately, you know, and. I mean Brandon is an easy going guy as is, you know, what I mean, he's a hard worker. He's going to listen. He's gonna to listen to what you know, to what his coaches are asking are asking from him. But it helps that if the guy you bring in just so happens to be someone that's from your city that can relate to you even more. Um now, you know, of course we know we know how tight, you know, we know Diane is Jordan Brand, you know whenever he's some type of issue. You know, with the comments that Dak made recently about about his time playing with Jordan Washington, that's a different story. But I think I think when you look at and now and now Jerry, of course, uh, he's been at, he's been at Vanderbilt, um, you know, handling things there. Uh, is is Jerry is Jerry necessarily uh, you know does he does he speak for somebody that you know is going to win your championship? I'm not sure, but I can say that from everything that I've read, and everything that I've seen, and knowing. And knowing what things have said or what people have said about Jerry that he's gonna hold guys that going are gonna hold guys accountable. I don't care what number you win a championship at. You know, that that gives uh that gives a you know a meaning to somebody that has an ability to adjust and hold folks accountable, hold his or herself accountable. Uh the ability to make to the best of what you're given, even if it goes against what your natural system wants or beliefs are, Um, the ability to get through adversity, all those things are going to speak well on his resume. If I had to pick, if I had to pick, and so far Jerry's also been a guy for it. Once he's fought offensively, he believes in defense. And I think this team is going to need somebody, not just a defensive coordinator, they need their head coach to be the first person. And I'm not saying Alvin doesn't preach, because he talks about it all the time. I think it needs to be um, it needs to be higher on the techie order because they're gonna score hundred points a night, 115, 20 points a night in their sleep. They're not
0: You know who else won an NBA G League title as a coach? Uh oh. Uh oh, who? Nick Nurse.
1: Nick Nurse. <laughs> Nurse. And we love Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse is fantastic. And the hair to the, to the championships with the you know the the, the things of. All what you read about him and putting it down with that team that's around for you, uh, with this season. Nick
0: Nurse is fantastic. And another quick fact for you. Nick Nurse went to the same college that I did. University of Northern Iowa. Played basketball there uh, for the Panthers. So, gotta rep uh, got to rep my school while we're doing <laughs> that as well. But you
1: gotta get Nick Nurse on the podcast, baby!
0: Yeah, yeah. Gotta do that. Gotta do that. One of my friends yeah, actually... We're we're yeah, one of my one of my friends actually was on a radio show in in Cedar Falls and and got to interview Nick Nurse, so so maybe I can uh, maybe I can work work that in. But um, appreciate the suggestion there, Chris. Um, one last thing before we let you go because we are hitting pretty big time here on I Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans, but you got to do that when you got such a cal- high caliber guest. So, Chris, we have talked about some some different things here on the podcast. What, what the plan is with with different free agents how how the pelicans should go forward in terms of the draft um who they should bring back this off season what are what are your thoughts in terms of biggest priorities for the pelicans this year twenty twenty this off season
1: so at I, I think with if you look at the amount of assets that they've acquired and you and you can if you look at David Griffin, you can kind of see. She'll give you hints and ideas of what she's trying to do. You know, um, he you know, they had New Orleans had a certain amount of draft picks. Yeah, uh, you know what? This fourth, this fourth pick isn't going to cut it. Let me get two picks instead. Let me, let me trade down. Let me make a trade. Let me, and, you know, and let me get, let me get some extra, some extra kicks here, right? Um, and he was able to do that. I think he was, but he got ten and seventeen um, from Atlanta right to go with to go with Zion Lincoln. okay now you know you have that they have a garage of second round picks in which they you know acquired the Los Angeles Lakers trade got a bunch of different picks and pick swaps and you know protected picks and you know all all different types of situations that eventually are going to have going to land LA and hell. you know but you know you do what you got to do to try to win that championship early um or at all. If if you can't for the king and uh Anthony Davis there of course now. But um yeah, I mean, you know, when you you pay attention to that, I mean I think the goal long term is to trade for just run of superstar. uh an established superstar that fits the growth of Mongo ball Dion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, whoever you know, whoever emerges, whoever emerges with them, if you Kill Alexander Walker takes his step, uh, you know, or or if it's Jackson Hayes, so on and so forth, you know, you you're gonna want a guy that fits that mode and that can help this team become even more of a problem in the Western Conference. So, if that's the right, I think in regards to draft picks, I think that no matter what you have to do. You want to pick attractive pieces that have that have high potential, and they're at a spot right now to where they can kind of pick the best, the best player available because due to get to what due to what their favorite AJ Reddick did, which I've never seen well, well I haven't seen very often, any free do even of their of their elk without without being overpaid or without you know having um an, you know an all time player. Um, J. J. Reddick Reddick and Derek Favre both requested to come to New York. This doesn't happen, man. A guy like J.J. Reddick, what what they, they want to go. They want to go and play with LeBron. They want to go have an opportunity to where they know they're going to be playing in jail right? But they're going to go and play for the State or something like that. So Derek, JJ Reddick, on his when he had it was a bunch of other ways he could have, he put have when he could have went back, to he could have waited off the market a little bit, taking a pay cut, and in another direction. he, he could have put he could have taken Danny Green's uh or the money to take that uh Los Angeles gave Danny Green and, and Laker. Um, you know, eventually Derrick Davis could have could have won a bunch of different areas. He decided, you know, uh, I would I would like to go to the war. It, it doesn't it doesn't happen very often, you know soon after you know a trade you know ended up being prehiliated. Um so I think they'll have they'll be able to recruit veterans. Um, they're a fun young team. They still have Drew and they still have um they have JJ for another year and I think that they're gonna work something out with their say that even if it's for a short term. Um, so they have a good mix of veterans and youth and guys and young veterans that that have been at least three, four years, five years, so on and so forth, um, that you don't really find very often because when you only see teams like what Toronto has been doing as of like you know, San Antonio or teams like those that have built over time. Um I think if we're talking me per se, um, you know, I, I I'm looking more so from either the trade market or free agency. I don't think they make a big move in order to get a super stuff and then, you know, you know, everyone's been slobbering over Bradley Bill the past year and a half, uh which which isn't necessarily my life per se. Um you have to figure out what their what their goal is for Drew Holiday. go long term. You know, there's been a lot of talk about will they trade him? Won't they? You know, will they not trade him? Will they keep him? Uh, if they trade him, that can kind of change the direction on which on where they go with certain with certain aspects. But let's just for the sake of things say that they keep the pieces that they have now for the part. Let's say they even, you know they bring back their Favors for a short term deal, and they don't trade JJ Reddick and Drew Holiday for at least another year. I think at that point, I think they need. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's ironic, but they need a stretch five that can offer some sort of defense, whether it be you know at the rim or just the ability to switch and move on the floor. Uh, but someone who can knock down a 3 point a three-point shot consistently. Elliot, can you tell me the center that would have probably fit that role perfectly? They wouldn't have even have had to go and pay money for it.
0: Uh, I didn't quite hear the question that you asked, but <laughs> if you want to run it back really no, quick,
1: no worries. That's it. I said, can you can you tell me the, the stretch five center that uh, that can defend a little bit, that can knock you know, they can knock down a three point shot that New Orleans could have had that they wouldn't have had to go out and pay money for.
0: My first thought, I'm not, I'm not super.
1: Okay. No presses. My first
0: my first thought is Brooke Lopez. No.
1: Chris. Chris no. got Wood. He ah. was <laughs> 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 the one. He is the perfect. The absolute perfect piece for what the team has needed over time this season and what they're gonna be going for. I think next to Zion, next to Brandon Egromzo, and all those guys in public. He was perfect. He would have been perfect. Things didn't work out uh due to the Nicola Melly signing, drafting Jackson Hayes and being, you know, being able to get Dion and the whole new infrastructure that didn't sign Kristen Wood on a you know on a future deal or on a ten day deal later for the rest of the year, you know, that had priorities and other other the this is understandable. Now Kristen is more likely gonna be out of the you know uh, you know salary salary wants in regards to spending and uh, if you have their things you're not gonna to wanna overpay to for, for backup center. But uh, I think when it's all said and done I think a stretch five whether you go whether you go to the trade the trade market or you decide to uh you know you go and pick up a veteran free agent, a stretch five that has some sort of rim detecting ability. You mentioned Brooke Lopez, he will be the perfect guy, but unfortunately he's uh locked into a long term deal with uh with Milwaukee. But you look at some of the big that Milwaukee's put next to Giannis, I think that's the perfect type of type of guy you would want there. Um and outside of that, I think you need another another three four tweener,
0: you know, wing,
1: wing slash power four guy that can that can also stretch the floor. I mean to me if Kerence Williams was a jump shot. If Kerence Williams was if he was able to knock down even if it's the short corner three consistently, uh if he was able to fulfill my hopes of P.J. Tucker, which I thought he was going to go into. Um, I mean, I, I, I think you got it. to do it. You know, because you're going to need that flexibility next to Zion when you eventually, no matter no matter how good, no matter how bad Zion has been defensively, you're going to still see small ball five lineups with him. It. It's just going to happen. Uh, Nicola Melli has been tested has been wonderful out of that power four position and running his running the five, especially after the off-off break. But I think that uh, if you can get someone that is a little bit better defensively and uh possesses better lateral equipment than Nicole Melly than Melly has, I think you'd be better served. Um, whether it be at a five or mad four. and I would also throw in a veteran point guard in that in that spot as well. Uh, folks were high on the kill others and the walker, but I think he's more of a combo guard, probably more of a two than he is a point guard. Uh, at least early on, and uh, I think for, if something were to happen Alonzo, to Lonzo and keep Drew Holiday from reluctantly running the front guard position, it might serve you best to go out and get somebody maybe of the mold of like a George Hill who's been in the league for a while, can knock down the shot. We'll definitely need to spin, but um, but it isn't going to take up a bunch of you know a bunch of it isn't going to take up a bunch of the the ball or a, you know shots so on and so forth and that will not look get other guys at all.
0: I I like that. You hit you hit every single possible need that the Pelicans have this offseason, especially in terms of the draft. Um, I'm not sure if you've done a ton of evaluation of guys watching tape or anything like that for this year's NBA draft, but they're really... there's such a variety of and there's absolutely no consensus for those who are doing evaluations there's no consensus as to who's gonna go where uh not even really in the top five or top three even um but uh they i i'm i'm with you i think chances are um you're going to get one or the other it, finding that combination. Devin Vassell is probably the best option for this year's NBA draft. If if you want to get a guy who can defend a lot of positions and then also spread the floor. Main thing, th- those are the two things that the Pels need this off season defense as they currently rank 18th in defense in the NBA. And of course, guys who can spread the floor for Zion and, and for Derek favors to do work.
1: No, I mean, I uh, do. You- you know they're right on the head, man. I and I think when you when you look at the uh, the age radius of the guys of the most important core pieces right now, there's so many guys that are under the age of 25 that are going to be crucial to your to your future. But they aren't guys that are gonna that are gonna need a whole bunch of development going forward. Like Zion doesn't need drastic development. Now that Brandon Ingram has kind of you know has has broken out and is playing the best basketball of his career doesn't need drastic development. You know what Josh Hart is. And Lonzo Ball, now that he is, has become a you know a hell of a shooter. as we work the shot shot out to Fred Benson, um, you know,
0: damn right. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, um and we and we also know what, what Lonzo can bring defensively, same thing. You know what he is. You don't need Jurassic Development outside of his free throw shots. Um and and if I forgot anybody, I you know, I mean Jack, Jackson Hayes is a is someone that, need, that needs, uh, just, in my opinion, is going to need some drastic help in regards to uh, his IQ, awareness, his feel for the game, his tendencies, fouling, so on and so forth. No, fundamental work. But I don't count him in that, in that core of players that I'm, that I'm talking about. I don't think you're in a spot unless you need to have to gather another young talent unless they are willing to make a difference right away uh maybe a three year guy, a four year guy, uh but someone if you do end up drafting somebody that you have plans for, you know, uh, and now New Orleans are doing things like, like they did with Snatching uh Smashing DD overseas and we'll see what he ends up turning into down the line. But um David Griffin has his team thinking has the organization, has his fans thinking outside the realms, outside the box of what they're used to. You know we're going to build this team in so many ways. It's not going to be the prototypical way. Um, and I think that uh, one thing to keep an eye on, keep an eye on, is uh, what if if they do bring in a young talent. What are their plans for that young talent going forward? You know, because the season ends right now in the lottery. What happens if they? What happens if they, they look up? And, you know, they strike gold twice and they end up with a top with another top five pick or number one i mean what you know what happens then at that point do you do you trade it i i think you probably do um I think at this point they have their young group in which they need to train help work on um from a chemistry perspective from a skill perspective they have it there, and it's rare that you get that on a team that can possibly make the playoffs right um They've been able to recruit veterans. Now you continue to go that route, but if you do draft, or if you do draft somebody, it's someone who is almost a finished project. That's someone you have to spend a bunch of time uh, in regard to uh, untapping potential. Somebody who can come in right away, who's ready to step on the NBA floor, and um, you know produce for you right away, and do it in a way that doesn't interrupt your current nucleus, the players that you already have, that should have
0: uh, high skill. There you have it, Pels fans. Pretty sure Chris and I could talk Pelicans for more than 24 hours if we really wanted to, but we're going to wrap it up.
1: I've been two. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, we've, been, we've been hammering it out. This will be our longest podcast so far, I believe, in the New Orleans Pelicans, and very happy to have done so. Chris, coming from SB Nation, the bird writes. The guy clearly, clearly <laughs> knows what he's talking about. Some really awesome, awesome stuff today on this podcast. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. I can tell you right now, you will definitely be on this podcast again should you should you want to join.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, at least I know this at least I know next time I gotta make sure that uh, I do what I'm off what I don't have to be pressing to do. Because we talked about trimming this thing to where we can go wrong. And an hour later, here we are, man. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a pleasure being on. Man, I can talk. I can talk sports with you know with the people that are in any day, man. Any day, any day. So I appreciate the opportunity. I come away anytime. It was a
0: blast. Thanks so much, Chris. Anytime, man. So there you have it, Pels fans. Again, excellent, excellent, excellent stuff today on Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans. We were joined by Chris Connor of SB Nation and The Bird Writes. If you missed any part of this episode, if you tuned out, if you zoned out, which who would ever do such a thing during Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans? But if you did, definitely go back and take a listen. And if you missed yesterday's podcast, make sure you check that out as well. Five moments that deserve a documentary in the history of the New Orleans Pelicans slash Hornets. All right, Pels fans, you know the drill. Go follow me on Twitter if you haven't done so. You're going to be getting a ton of Pelicans content there, whether it's reminders to go listen to the podcast, links for the podcast, my opinions, my thoughts on the Pelicans right now going forward or even in the past, and not just my opinions, but opinions of guys like Chris, your very own opinions. If I ever tweet anything remotely relevant to the Pelicans, your opinions are welcome. They will be retweeted because, like I've said a million times, we are about you and only you here on Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans. And you might be wondering what my handle is on Twitter. It is just Elliot Clough. It's right there in front of you. You open the screen, it's going to be spelled out directly in front of your face. It's E-L-I-O-T-C-L-O-U-G-H. And even if you just hashtag what the Pell is up, you're going to be engaging with me one way or another. And while you're here, subscribe, leave a rate and review. Do it! Especially if you are on Apple Podcasts, that really helps out the pod for us to get bigger, move forward, and to get different guests, different uh, topics, different ways of engaging with you on Apple every single form of social media, every single social media platform. And if if and when you head over to those social media platforms, go follow Believe, Believe Sports, if you're on Instagram, but Believe on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can check out a plethora of their other podcasts on Believe.com or just head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, whatever you're listening to this podcast right here. I've got another article coming at you on Fansided's Hoops Habit page on the Pelicans later this week. So check that out. Stay tuned. I also have some pretty big news coming for you. Some very, very exciting stuff from Believe in New Orleans Pelicans. You do not want to miss this at all. Very, very, very excited. Do not forget to give me that follow on Twitter because I want to hear from you. I want to retweet your stuff. I want to share your thoughts not only on Twitter but on this podcast. We name you we we address you by name here on Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans. We are on a first name basis because otherwise what are you engaging for? We want to hear from you. We want to share your thoughts and opinions on Twitter on any other platform that you share those opinions. And then, of course, here on the podcast, if there's something you don't like, leave a review. Let me know. Even just at me on Twitter for there as well. I am open to any and all forms of criticism. And of course, you can always hashtag what the Pell is up to get me up, get my attention there on Twitter. And there you have it. Pell's fans, amazing, amazing, amazing stuff from Chris Connor today. Definitely one of my favorite podcasts so far. If you didn't catch any part of this, if you had to turn volume down, go back. Go back and take a listen. And for Chris Conner, the Believe Network, and myself, I am Elliot Clough, and this was Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans.